as Bethan just said, I'm Bryony. Um, I've been part of this church family for quite a long time now. Um, I'm married to Rich. We have three children. And it is great to be able to come and share here this morning um, on our series of Kingdom Culture. This is the last week that we have been going through Colossians. So over the last six weeks, um, we've been going through the book of Colossians, which is written by Paul. Um, and really looking at what does it mean to live differently, to live distinctively? What impact does the gospel, the truth um, of Jesus, make to us? How is, does it change us individually, but how does it also change our church community? And I don't know about you, but um, I've really enjoyed this last six weeks. I think um, there have been some amazing um, talk shared and I've definitely felt really challenged but as well more than that I think I felt challenged but also there's just been a lot of joy in what people have shared that it's been challenging but um, really joyful and I'm like super thankful for all the people who have kind of gone ahead of me as I kind of today hope to draw together some of the strands of what we've been um, talking about over this um, last six weeks and as well as drawing kind of things together, what I want to do today is to consider what does it mean to be a transformed and a praying people? So before we dive into this final passage, um, let me do a quick overview. I realize there's lots of guests here who have not been with us for this last six weeks. So this is a very quick overview of where we've come from. So like I said, the book of Colossians is where we are landing. And the, the letter of, for Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon are called the prison letters because the writer, Paul, wrote them from prison, unsurprisingly. I probably didn't need to explain that. Um, but in this case, actually, the church um, of Col the Colossians in Colossae didn't know Paul at all. He'd never actually been there. It was his friend, Epaphras, who has planted this small church in Colossae. And it is Epaphras who has reported back to Paul about how this church is getting on. And over this past six weeks, we've read, and I think I just popped this on a, I think the screen is a quick overview. We've, um, we've looked at this amazing prayer that Paul starts this letter with, followed by an incredible poem he writes about Jesus the Messiah. We've unpacked, um, if you remember a long time ago, Luke did a sermon on confession and we, we talked about confessing our sins. Joel unpacked um, what it means to live in the fullness that God wants us to. We've looked at what it means to be clothed in new life, to live differently. And then finally, last week, um, really practically, um, both Tom and Rach unpacked um, what did it look like for the communities, what it looked like for the households um, in, the, in, in Roman rule. So what did it look like for those people in their houses? How did this work out with slaves, in marriages and with children? And I would definitely recommend, I know I've heard that there has been some good conversation on the tables um, during the week in our small groups about that passage from last week. And I would really recommend, I think they did a fantastic job of unpacking a pretty super tricky passage that I'm really thankful I was away I was on the road to do it last week and I got out of that one so I'm super thankful about that and um, but they did an awesome job and um yeah I would recommend going back but that's where we're at and so we come to the end of this super rich dense letter and the NIV title um for this section is further instructions and final greetings 
Now, I don't know if you've ever spent time um, with like a dear friend and you've only got a certain amount of time with them and it gets to like the last 10 minutes and suddenly you remember all the things you wanted to tell them and you're like almost like tripping over yourself, talking really fast because you're trying to pack in all the things you want to share with this friend before you leave. And there's a real sense here in this letter that this is kind of what is happening for Paul, as happens in quite a lot of his letters. He's getting to the end and he is going, oh, and this, and this. And so what we have is a bit of an interesting passage to preach on because we have lots of very short statements of him just saying, remember this, remember this. and then lots of greetings and him sharing um, greetings from the people that he has been ministering with, um, both Jews and Gentiles, he's sharing their greetings. So that's where we're at. So let's read this passage. I also have been told that people have been reading it, like read this passage in their small groups this week, and you've all struggled with the names. So please have so much grace for me now as I absolutely butcher this passage. So this is Colossians 4, verses 2 to 18. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer. Ticketus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you, they will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, there we go, <laughs> sends you his greetings, as does Mark, that's an easier one, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have provided a comfort for me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read for you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write these greetings in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So, um, in the spring, we moved house and for those of you who know Rich and I, and I've preached about this on and off for about the last five years, because we have been trying to move um, to South Wales for quite a long time. And for various reasons, through, through COVID, that, that move all fell through. And eventually we've moved, but like 10 minutes down the road, as it happens. And for, for our family, that move has been like an amazing um, example of God's provision in our lives. So it's brought a lot of healing for us. 
However, the previous occupants of this house had decided, and this it was a church minister who lived in this house, um, had, had made the design choice to wallpaper a feature wall in every single room of the house. Now, I've got some examples of some of the wallpaper. Now, if you have these wallpapers in your house, that's cool. I'm not judging you, but it's certainly not mine and Rich's design style, I would say, a little bit more minimalist. Um, but there was, this is just a few of the examples. So in every room, there was a wall that was wallpapered with some of the, the different varieties of wallpaper. And so since May, we have been removing wallpaper in every single room and stripping this wallpaper down and repainting every room. We also discovered, to our great delight, um, that in the attic, which we finally got a key to, there was the remains of a cannabis farm. Um, and so, so the entire roof of our house was covered in soil and roots and ducting and all the various other things that you need to run a, what looked like quite a profitable business. Um, and so on one of the really hot days in September, my husband climbed up and bagged up bags and bags of soil, cleared it all out, boarded this, this space. So we now have a really usable, but probably less profitable space in the attic. And so hopefully by Christmas, every space in that house will have been repainted and transformed. And actually for me, it's been quite a therapeutic and strangely spiritual experience of like transforming this home and like restoring it. And um, also, I, I probably should have said like, it wasn't the, the minister who owned the house at the point of the cannabis. Um, <laughs> but um, it has been quite a, um, like quite a spiritual experience in a strange way for me in restoring and transforming every room and every surface of this house. Everything is transformed by Jesus. The book of Colossians is Paul's call to leave no room untransformed. Even the dark, neglected, neglected attics of our lives, full of secrets and shame, everything is transformed by Jesus. Everything is transformed by Jesus, and there is nothing that Jesus cannot transform and change. Now, throughout this six weeks, throughout Colossians, we have seen that our identity is forever changed by the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that Jesus has made a way for us to be part of God's family. That our identity has been changed because of what Jesus did on the cross, that we get his inheritance. We are children of God. And that change affects not only our hearts, but also the way that we live and relate in the world. And even here in these closing words, which seem just like a list of greetings, actually Paul is challenging the values of the world that the Colossians are in danger of absorbing. And he is challenging them to this high calling of living differently. That's the phrase we've used a lot over these last six weeks, to live differently, to be a transformed people. Because hidden in these verses is the story of a man called Onesimus. In verse 9, it said that Tychicus is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. 
And if you have read further on in the Bible, you may recognize that name, Onesimus. He is a Colossian slave, and he belonged to a Colossian Christian called Philemon. And more than just being a slave, he is a runaway slave. He robbed his master. He ran away to Rome. And it is in Rome that he has met Paul, and he becomes a Christian. And his life is changed to the point that he agrees to go back to Colossae to be reconciled with Philemon and brought into the church family as an equal. And Paul doesn't directly address Philemon in this letter because he writes Philemon his own letter, which we read. Um, If you flicked forward um, in your Bibles, you'd find it. And it's it's only a page. It's a very quick read. Um, But that, that letter is to Philemon basically with Paul saying, please take this slave back, welcome him into your family. So why am I telling you this bit? Well, by recommending Onesimus to the Colossian Christians, Paul is asking them to put everything that they have been taught, everything that they've learned into practice how they decide to treat this runaway slave and their acceptance of him into the church community will show how much the gospel has taken root. It will show how transformed their house is. It will also show how much transformation has taken place because the culture that they were in would have said, punish this man, like punish this slave, make his work harder put more requirements on him, make an example of him so that other slaves won't think it's okay to run away. But instead, in Paul's letter to Philemon, he urges him to welcome Onesimus, and he says, welcome him as you would me, Paul. In verse 12 of um, the book of Philemon, he says, I am sending him back to you. I am sending my very heart Paul is appealing to Philemon and to the Colossians to be transformed, to let their actions be transformed as their thinking has been transformed, to live differently. And then obviously that ties into what we were talking about last week and how actually we can see that Paul is challenging the status quo of how they thought about slaves. And so when people have used those passages that we read last week about slaves... Actually, we see here that Paul is saying, no, treat him as you would treat me. He is slowly helping the church to wrestle with what does it mean to be different, to live differently in this culture. And this was radical. It's hard for us to understand, but this was radical. In mentioning Onesimus here, Paul is helping them to put the truths that he has written about in the previous three chapters into practice. He's saying, today you live differently. You are a transformed people. And he also calls the church in Colossae to be a praying people. And Paul finishes this letter exactly where he started, back in verse 1 of chapter 1. He he began there by telling them, this group of people who he had never met, that he prays for them regularly. He writes, we always thank God when we pray for you. And here at the end, he is the one asking them for prayer. He asks them to pray that God will give him opportunities, even though he is in prison, to share the gospel, to tell more people about Jesus. 
And again, he has never met them. And in the worldly sense, this church um, in Colossian, Colossae, they could look at Paul and think, well, we're just a really young church. We're a new church plant. We're new Christians. We don't really know what we're doing. And here is this super church planting, amazing guy. Like, how could we ever pray for him? Surely we just need him to be praying for us. But he's like, no. We are all called to the ministry of prayer. And I didn't know that Bethan was going to share on the video all that stuff about prayer, but we are all called to the ministry of prayer. What's more for Paul, prayer isn't a rest from the work. It is the work of mission and ministry. It is the work. He writes that Epaphras, this man who started the church in Colossae, has been wrestling in prayer. Paul places a really high value on the business of prayer, of wrestling in prayer for one another. When we take prayer seriously, and I think it's going to come up on these three things. So it is the work of, of mission and ministry. And the next one, I've also spent, spelled mission wrong. Anyway, um, it bonds us together. When we pray, Paul says that this bonds us together. Across geographical distances, they were not close to each other. And yet Paul is saying, as we pray for one another, we are bonded together. But it also bonds people across social economic distances. He said that the people that he was traveling, well, in prison with or that he was ministering with were Jews and Gentiles. So across social distances and across racial distances, prayer bonds us together. And Paul's prayer has a practical purpose of building the church. For Paul, prayer is one of the things that builds the church. Now, I don't know about you, and maybe this is classically me doing a confession too far, but um, I found the return to church community um, after COVID really, really hard. I, um, I think it was probably a combination of just you know, not seeing people for that long and it feeling like, you know, some of some friendships had kind of moved into that weird acquaintance stage because hadn't seen people for that long. The makeup of the church had changed. People didn't return to church necessarily after COVID and that felt strange and sad. Um, and I think to be honest, I'd find it really easy to consume church for 18 months online, like sitting, you know, you didn't even have to get dressed. You could wear your pajamas. Um, like you just sat and consumed and you didn't have to, you didn't feel like you were necessarily part of it. And um, I quite enjoyed having nothing expected of me, to be honest. And it meant though that coming back to church um, switching back into the mentality of community was really challenging for me. Also, I'm an introvert by nature, which doesn't mean that I don't like people. <laughs> it just means that I get energy not around people. Like when I'm on my own, that's where I get energy. And so social interactions like drain my tank greatly. Like I will nap this afternoon before I come back and do this again this afternoon because like this drains like my energy. And so the idea and getting back into church and like face-to-face interactions was a shock to the system, being in a big room again with people. Maybe that was just me. Um, and I, to be honest, I've been feeling this way for a while, feeling quite disconnected from community, really. Um, and over the summer, through reading and um, through prayer and through talking to my therapist, I felt really um, encouraged to explore, like, how, how am I part of church? Like, 
rather than this is something that I just do every week. Like, how am I part of this community? And I remember in the first week back um, in September, and I'd felt like, no, come on, I really, I want to feel more connected. I don't want to like go, oh, I've got to go to church, like build it up. Um, but the first week in the worship, I felt like God brought a member of the church family to mind. It wasn't somebody that I'd spoken to recently, but they, I just couldn't get this person out of my mind. I was like, God, what, what is going on? Why am I thinking about this particular person during worship? And um, I just felt this conviction in my soul. And it wasn't like I heard God audibly. Like, that has never happened to me. It wasn't even that I felt like God, like, spoke in my mind or anything. It was just, I felt really strongly, like, I think I should just start praying for that person. And so during the worship, I just started praying for them. And that was fine. And the following week, like, the same thing happened, different person. The moment we started worship, somebody, some, some person pinged into my mind. And I, was, and I thought, okay, God, well, I'm just going to do this then. And so then over the, the past few weeks, um, as I've been coming to church, I've been asking God, like, God, would you put somebody on my mind to pray for? Like, who is it that you want um, me to pray for? And I share this not because... I am super holy or a good Christian. In fact, quite the opposite most of the time. But the effect it has had on me, this, this practice that has like developed because God has put it in my mind, has had a real effect on me. I feel more connected. Like the more I pray for people in this community, the more I feel bonded to this community. Praying for our community has shifted something in my heart. And it hasn't been that costly to me to be honest has it like I'm literally just praying in the worship for different people in this church it's like not I'm not suggesting something groundbreaking here Paul asks the church to pray and encourages them that others are praying for them because he knows that prayer bonds us together and it has transforming power in community Prayer changes our perspective. It has changed mine. It makes us part of something. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus commands us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I think this is way more about what it does to us and how it changes our hearts than anything else. It's almost impossible to keep a hard heart towards our enemies. And that is just, you know, maybe people who don't like us or people that we don't particularly get on with. It's really hard to keep a hard heart when we are praying for them and asking God to bless them. Prayer softens our hearts. Prayer keeps us open and curious. And sometimes that is a really slow transformation but I would argue that to be a transformed people, we have to be a praying people. And I am imperfect at this, but I really want to keep trying. And Paul finishes this letter, like so many of his letters, with this exhortation to keep spurring each other on. And if we feel discouraged today, the question isn't how can I be encouraged, but how can I encourage how can I encourage somebody? Who can I build up? And when we pray for people, maybe we will get a word of encouragement specifically. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll read a bit of scripture and say, oh, I think that person needs to know this. This should be the bread and butter of kingdom culture, that we look to build up and encourage one another, to point one another towards Jesus. Like we get to be part of the transformation process in others.
We get to be part of like stripping the wallpaper alongside each other. We're not doing that alone. We're not trying to sort out all of our stuff alone. We're doing it in community together. We get to encourage. And when we do that, we usher in God's kingdom into people's lives. And it's like we've helped them clean up another room. And that's what kingdom culture is, isn't it, in the end? Like our world would say that we're individuals, that we go our own way that we really just need to look after ourselves. But the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom, it says we go together. We work at transformation together. That's why sitting down at a table with people every week in our kind of small group structure that we're doing now, sitting at a table, praying for one another, that stuff matters. Even if it's awkward and difficult, (laughs) it matters. So how do we respond today as I kind of like wrap this up a bit? Well, I think there are some people here today who actually today is the day that you say yes to Jesus coming in and inviting him into your life and asking him to start that work of transformation. You know that today is the day you want to say yes to Jesus, that you want to become a Christian. And if this is you, then please like, don't rush away. Like, Come to the front at the end. Like, The point of us gathering is, is that people become Christians, that people come to know Jesus. We would love to pray for you and welcome you um, into our community, into our family. And maybe, though, you've been walking with Jesus for a while, and I wonder whether for some of us in this room, certainly for me, this series of Colossians has hit a few nerves. It's been quite revealing in the areas where... I'm where we're not living transformed. There are areas where, you know, we need to have a bit more wallpaper stripped. And the caveat, of course, is that until we get to heaven, there will always be parts of our life that needs transforming. So none of us sit here today, sorted. (laughs) None of us sit here today saying, actually, no, this isn't for me. We are all in the business of being transformed. The Bible uses a word called being sanctified, which is just kind of a posh way of saying that, that we are constantly being changed and transformed to be more like Jesus. So we're all in that boat. So maybe it was when Luke talked about confession or when Tom talked about letting go of our old life and being clothed in new life that we felt challenged. I think if we're honest, we can all identify places in our lives where we have told God, you can have everything, but not that. Or maybe there are things that have become idols in our lives, things that are stopping us surrendering to Jesus and letting him completely transform us. And there's all sorts of things that that could be. It could be holding someone in unforgiveness A poverty or a victim mindset, you know, thinking, oh, it's all right for them all the time. Maybe it's addictions or idolizing our romantic relationships or idolizing our children. We can create whole rooms or whole floors that Jesus isn't allowed into. Places where we say, God, you can change everything in my life, but could you just leave that for now? I can't deal with that. I don't want you in there. And so today, that's, we're starting from that premise, that we are all in need of transformation. And I also want us today to put into practice Paul's encouragement to pray for one another. And so we're going to do that now. Um, what I would like us to do is we're just going to turn in threes. Now, the caveat for all of this is that if you're a guest and this feels utterly weird, that is fine. You do not have to join in. That's fine. If you want to sit and you just want to, or you want to share with the person next to you, something that 
you're hopeful for this week that, you wanna, that you're looking forward to. You don't have to use the word prayer. If that's not language that you would use, that's totally fine. But what we're going to do is we're going to turn in threes. And I'm not asking us to share everything. Don't worry. Those of you who are introverts, I know if I was sat there, I'd be freaking out right now. I am not asking you to share anything. All we're going to do is we're going to ask that God would keep transforming our church. That is the simple prayer today. And maybe in, as you turn in threes, one person will pray for all of you. Maybe everybody will pray. We're, just, we're going to put some music on. Duncan is going to magically put some music on in a minute. Um, and we're going to pray for just three or four minutes together. And the prayer is, God, would you keep transforming me? And actually, what I want to challenge you is not to pray that God would transform situations. We're praying that God would transform us. That this whole series has been, how does God transform us so that we are different in the world? And so I would encourage you as you pray to be praying for one another that we are transformed. And maybe that prayer is as simple as just saying, God, would you transform us this week? And it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. But I would, I think we've just talked about praying for one another. And I felt like this week, I was, how do I land this? And it would be really weird then to not pray for one another. So that's what we're going to do. So in groups of three or four, whatever you want to do, either have a chat about your week or pray that God would transform you and would work on whatever it is. You don't need to know what that thing is for that person, but just pray for them. God, would you keep transforming them this week?